Welcome to How to Build a Village, a podcast about building a community when you move to a new place. I'm Jill Martin Wren. Joining me today is a special guest and dear friend, Leonie Lacani. She's a journalist who's worked for global news organizations, including the BBC and CNN. Her career has brought her around the world, from the Arctic to South Africa, Shanghai to LA. The fifth fleet's been based in Bahrain since the early 20th century. Osama bin Laden may have been America's most wanted, but for most people here, he wasn't the only factor in the so-called war on terror. Leonie Lakani, who's live in Dhaka, she's been following the story of a young woman who was pulled alive on Friday. This is a military hospital that she's been at since Friday when she was rescued. Leone has written and produced several long and short format stories covering world events like the Israel-Lebanon war from Gaza, the assassination of Benazir Bhutto, and the death of Osama bin Laden. She currently divides her time between Washington, D.C. and London. Welcome, Leone. Hello. It's such an honor to have you because you have moved many times. You've also done such an amazing job at creating communities and crafting an amazing media career. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, we know each other from working together at CNN in London, where I was always impressed at how resourceful and how full of contacts you were. So if you could explain how you made a huge city like London feel like home, that would be great. When I finished college, I was thinking um, I would go either to New York or to London to pursue a career in journalism. And then I settled on London because I thought it would be a good international place, um, a place to do international news, firstly. And secondly, because I was a British citizen, so made it easy for me to work there. Um, but it was, wasn't easy in the sense that when I started, I was just basically like a temp in a media agency. And I was like literally writing to everybody every single day to try and get work. I think I wrote to every single editor in London for nine months, sent them all kinds of articles I'd written. And I literally harassed everybody. Um, and then eventually um, Gideon Rackman, who was the, the economist, the Asia editor at The Economist at the time, um, finally said, hey, listen, why don't you come and speak to me? We can have a quick chat and uh, I can give you some advice. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be like a job. Wow, Gideon Rackman wrote me back finally, even though everybody had rejected me, like everyone had written to me many times and said, nice to see you or didn't say anything. And so I went to see him and he was like, so this is what I would do if I were you. I would go to the BBC and try and get work experience there because the BBC is an institution, it's massive, it's really well known and they can use people like you um, with your kind of background, they, they need people with international backgrounds. So it would be really good for you to go and whether it's radio, whether it's television, just try and get yourself in there. And I just thought blasphemous because I was a complete print person. Like I used to write articles. I was really into my writing. I, you know, I used to do, do it all my life. And especially in college, I used to really work on crafting my articles and so for a print person to tell me to go to television i was like are you crazy <laughs> but at the same time i didn't have work i was like like i said i was just temping uh in these media places um so i applied for radio and television and eventually which if anyone's applied for work experience at the beeb it's like applying for a full-time job it's tough even just to get that and then i got two weeks work experience at television center 
And then I just basically made that work. So I basically, like you said, using my resources, it just so happens at the time there was something in Pakistan where I think the coup happened where Burvis Musharraf came in. I think it was around that time. And I could basically make myself useful and try and get interviews and things like that. So I basically started by doing research and getting interviews for them. Because you had the contacts and the language skills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't grow up. I mean, I, have, I grew up in Dubai. So my language skills, I would say, was like what I speak with my parents, but it's colloquial enough. But yeah, it, I, it just so happened that I did have contacts in Pakistan at the time and it was useful. So it was a bit of luck. And then the, the other thing that happened is because I started becoming like an interviews producer, which is like a guest booker in other places, um, but there it's quite, there it's quite specialized. So like only the big name interviews I would go for. And then like, then you decide which part of the BBC it goes to, even though I work for BBC World. So then I got like mm. an interview with Mugabe when he was in London. And then I started wow. getting like these just big, big interviews I, I i was just super persistent basically like any goes guest booker knows so yeah i bas- basically did that i just made myself useful by doing that i was like i know how to get interviews i'll just get every single interview i can and then you start working with a lot of the big correspondents and stuff like that because there was like a massive conference i remember the qe2 in in london and like really big name correspondent and his producer and I was like oh they sent me there to get interviews and I got like a whole bunch of these like big interviews while I was there so it just went from that to that I think that's that's how it started for me how did you end up at CNN so then I was at the Beeb so I was a researcher when I went and by researcher I mean like I was literally like on these two-week contracts and then it became like a month contract and then two months contract it took me a while until I actually got like a full one-year contract at the Beeb, but I was so, I really, really felt like that's it, I've made it, you know, because BBC World to me was like the epitome um, of international news. And I felt really grateful that I learned my television there because I felt like I learned some from some of the best directors and like reporters and how they wrote and how they looked at pictures and everything. I felt really grateful for being there. So. I worked at BBC World for three years. I mean, I literally, like I said, I just was contract for the longest time. But over time, I just, you know, I guess I just knew more and more people. And then they started a business unit at the BBC. And the person who hired me at BBC World took me to the business unit. And then one Mm -hmm. of my friends from the Beeb went to CNN in London. And he was trying to bring me on. And I was like, I'm not going to CNN. I'm the BBC person and CNN is, you know, this American channel. And why would I ever go there? Um, They don't even know how to do news. And I was really snobby about it. And what happened eventually is they changed. They added a whole bunch of shows at CNN and they started hiring more people. And again, they asked me, would you like to come and have a chat with us? And I was like, "Mm -mm, not interested. And then eventually uh, one of my friends was like, why don't you just go and say hello? Doesn't hurt, you know? Um, So I went, I went to say hello to the boss at the time. And I didn't want to, I I literally said, just so you know, I'm not here for a job. I'm just here because you've asked me to come. And I went on and on about how much I love the Beeb and I never want to come to CNN. And, And I told him all the things that were wrong with the channel and all the things that they should fix. And I think he just thought, first he had guts um, to hire me. 
And he basically called, he basically called and said, listen, we're changing the channel. We're adding shows and we need people who are going to create those shows and you're going to do it. I know you're going to do that because you have all these ideas. So we're going to offer you a job anyway. And I was like, I didn't even ask for one, but basically what I did is I thought about it. I was really close to all my, all the managers of the Beeb. I really respected them. And I went and actually talked talk to them about it. And I was like, listen, I've only worked at the BBC. I haven't worked anywhere else. So it'd be good for me to get some other experience. So I was thinking I'm going to CNN for a year and then I would come back to the BBC. But what happened was, and actually like the Beeb had offered me all kinds of, you know, like more money and all that to stay. But I just thought it's a different experience. Like I said, they were just building things up in London. And I was part of this amazing bunch of people. And you're part of that extension as well, Jill. And I just kept meeting more and more amazing people. And the, the great thing was because it was new young office, we got to do so many things. So when I say I got to travel the world, it was because I was at CNN. I got to do so many things. It was literally like, whatever you can do, tell us what you can do and we'll see if we can make it happen. So then I went to CNN and then I just stayed there. <laughs> so stayed there for most of my career. And I still feel like, um, it's my family. I grew up there as far as I'm concerned. I still do things with them if things come up. So yeah, it's still my family and that's how I stayed. Um, and then other things since then. Why would you say that? Why would you say there was that family vibe, you know, that really special feeling like you were coming of age growing up there? Cause I would, I would totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I've made many friends from there like yourself, but what, what is it? Do you think, what was that magic that made everyone feel like it was a family i think we really we were really lucky i think they because they hired lots of people at the same time so we were all new at the time so it's like starting from scratch in a new place where you're all getting to know each other i also think we had amazing managers who decided at the time that they wanted they wanted to create something new and they empowered us to do it Right. So it was like, what ideas do you have? Great. We'll give you, so I think it was like trusting us to do something big. And then if someone trusts you with something big, you don't want to let them down. So you worked really hard, you know, like we worked really hard, but at the same time, mm -hmm. it was, I think, exciting that we're like, oh my gosh, someone's just allowing me to make this like really huge show on a really huge topic and they're letting me do it, you know, or like there is this trip, like, all the you know pre-Iraq war stuff was happening and they're letting me go on a trip alongside Amanpour and her producer like I don't want to let people down I'm going to make it work so I think a lot of it was and I really think of that with other people as well like when you've got if you've got the confidence in someone um, as a boss to be able to you first of all you have to be super confident as a boss to do that but then to say okay I've hired you for your abilities I'm going to let you do it. I think that's quite empowering for both sides because if you succeed, your boss succeeds as well. And I think at the same time, it's, I, I guess it's just, they just hired all of a bunch of us and they let us kind of fly. And you've also done amazing things. I hear you've worked for these big companies like BBC and CNN, but you've also done amazing work under your own steam. So can you talk a bit about not just falafs, your my food blog <laughs> and it's really good for special occasions or a big dinner it looks very impressive it's quite easy to do it's all about the marinade which is a shermoula a north african paste you can buy it or you can make it yourself i use an otolenghi recipe and it's made of garlic red onions 
coriander cilantro, some chili flakes, cumin, paprika, the juice of two lemons, a tiny bit of salt. Yeah, so I think the one thing about being in a big company is uh, on the one hand, I'm really grateful because I got so many opportunities. I wouldn't have the skills that I had if it wasn't for that, right? Um, but then there's lots of things you want to do on your own that you wouldn't necessarily do, right? So if you were at a big company. What happened was I actually, I went freelance. I decided to go freelance just to be able to spend more time with my family. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to do my own things. And then what happened was I actually tore my knee. I tore my ligaments and I got grounded. Couldn't travel. So I thought, you know what? I'd never cooked, by the way, as well. And I was in Washington. I'd come to visit my family, my mom who lives in Washington. And I got grounded with the surgery stuff. And so just to keep myself busy. So I'm one of those people who's always doing something. So I'm always, always taking pictures. So one of my cameraman friends calls me Fuji Canon because I'm always taking pictures. So I've always taken pictures. I've always been into like graphics and the way things look. And then the other thing I've always wanted to do is I've always wanted to be a DJ because I listen to music all the time, specifically DJ music. And anyone who knows me, know, like I would hang out in DJ shops and stuff when I was a kid. So I thought, you know what? I can create this thing. Firstly, it was to keep myself busy because I couldn't travel. Secondly, I called it my own personal art project because I wanted to do all the things I've wanted to do and put it in one place. So I wanted these, I wanted to make like music videos for food. And I, I knew that I wanted to look quite urban because that's my style. And I also think people tend to think of food videos and they think of like lots of floral garden stuff, which is also beautiful. It's just not my style. So I did it basically because I was like, oh, I can cook. I can put playlists to DJ music because people would always ask me for my music. And the reason I did not just falaf specifically is in, in America, I just couldn't find Middle Eastern food like easily available. Um, and that's something I'm always craving. So I had to cook it myself. So then it became like, it's not just falaf. So the joke was, it was falafs like falafels. Um, it came from this deli that we used to pass in London and Soho, which was called Just Falafs. And I always used to say like, oh, that's such a great name. I'm going to use that somewhere. So when this came up, I'm like, oh, I'll do not just falafs. I'll make sure everybody knows that it came from that name. But it was also not just falafs because anyone who knew me knew that I couldn't cook a thing and they couldn't believe I started cooking. Um, and so it was kind of like a combination of just, it's not just falafs. I really am cooking. So yeah, it started like that. And then it just became like a fun thing for me. Like every week I did, every week. I was kind of teaching myself how to cook. But like I said, it was my art project. So I wanted to be all the things I've always wanted to do and put it into that. And I've just continued doing it because now I'm a big, big foodie who loves my food. And weirdly in the beginning, I had only DJs who would follow me. I didn't have many food people who would follow me. And now I have food people who follow me, thank God. <laughs> so yeah, it's just something I've wanted to do always. And I've always thought, the other thing I always thought is like, Jill, you and I were in this like the news world where everything's like so depressing and sad all the time. And I thought if we do food and music are two things that unite people from every part of the world, A, and B, it makes people happy. Food makes you happy. Music makes me happy. Other people too, hopefully. So it was a combination of my own love for food and music. And then also just the thought of it's something that makes people happy.
And what would your advice be to someone who wants to do something like that all on their own steam without, without being under the auspices of a big media company? So I always think if you're passionate about something, um, it'll work out and stick with your passion. Don't let it, don't get discouraged. Like I said, like when I first got my first job, I just knew I wanted to do that. I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to be in a big city and going to happen. And just really, if you're passionate, don't let anyone dissuade you, first of all. Second of all, I think technically right now, there's so much stuff available online that you just have to kind of research a little bit, but you can do everything now at home. There's certain things, like I did a WordPress site, but I didn't know how to upload things. So I got the design, the person who designed the actual WordPress theme. I actually got that person. I was like, I'll pay you extra if you can help me put things on the site and then teach me how to do it so I can continue doing it. So I did that. Um, there's sites called Fiverr. Do you know Fiverr? Um, mm. Yeah, so Fiverr is really good. So when I started, they, this kind of stuff didn't exist. Yes. Like at yeah. that time, I had to just like figure things out on my own. But now you can go on Fiverr and you can hire someone on WordPress to put everything up for you, you know? So I did that. Like it was like, for me, it was like figuring out what was important. I knew I had to have a work, uh, um, a website. I knew I had to have a YouTube thing. So I started those things. And then when Instagram happened, I decided to focus. I, so when I, I started by doing, putting things on Facebook because you, you could build communities on Facebook. So on Facebook, I got like 10,000 likes or something on my page. But I just didn't find it very user-friendly. Uh, whereas with when Instagram came, it just made it much easier for me to do things. Like we can do things really quickly. It doesn't have to be fantastically looking as long as it's visual in some way and just stick it on. And so I started focusing on my Instagram thing, but basically everyone can do it. Everyone can do it. Everything's available. You just have to figure out what's the most important because there's so much now. There's so many social media channels now that it's really hard to keep it all going if you're by yourself. If you have someone to help, you can. You probably have to, to be honest, you have to get everything working, but yeah, it's doable. Everyone can do it. And there are more and more tools now that make it easier for people to do it. And, and of course your day job is also super impressive. Will you talk a little bit about what, what else you do as a journalist? So I was, a, I mean, I've done every job. Like I have a joke with one of my friends that I've done every job in television except for the job of the potted plant on my boss's desk. Cause I literally did every job. So yeah, I started as a researcher and then became a producer and I did show producing and field producing and then reporting and all that stuff. So now I generally report and when I report, I have to produce my own stuff as well. So I, I'm a freelancer. So I work, ironically, when I came to the US, I didn't have any work in the US. All my work was international, but because of my work with one place, the Cypher Week, which is national security stuff. And then another one of these shows here, Matter of Fact, which is hosted by Soledad O'Brien. So there's a couple of big shows that I worked for. So I seem to still get stuff in the U.S. And now with the elections and all that kind of stuff. So I just, the protests in the summer, elections. So I've just continued. This is stuff I want to be a part of and I want to be able to report and witness because I always feel like journalism is, a, I always think journalism is a privilege because we get to witness history. Um, and I think not everybody has that opportunity. 
So I take it very seriously that it's something we are, we have a huge responsibility to do it as properly as and well as we can. But I feel really privileged and lucky to be able to do it. So if there are opportunities where I can um, witness history, I will take that opportunity and cherish it. So I feel lucky that I was here to witness those kinds of things. So I just happen to be here now still with the elections and what's happening in the aftermath. So I'm continuing to work on that as well. And do you have any other plans for your your DJ dreams? So you know what? My sister had given me... Uh, so I DJ like in the sense that I put my playlist together and there's like random music because DJ friends are now sending me stuff, right? Um, so I'm always sharing them with people. So I actually, um, my sister had bought me uh, for my birthday, like a day training session with dubstep in New York. And I still haven't done it. Uh, and now it's going to be tough to do. But also things have changed because now even DJs do things online. So I've got the software on my laptop. I still haven't figured out how to do it. I think I'm going to get need somebody to actually show me what to do. Once I figure out how to do the basics, then I you you might see me DJing. <laughs> I, I just think it's amazing you're so multifaceted. I didn't even know that that was a passion of yours until I started watching listening yeah music is huge 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 for me always has been photographs have always been huge so like i said not just fluffs allowed me to do all of it in one place like all the stuff that i love to do i'm just going to put it in one place it's my own art project as i keep calling it so. and i love as well it seems to pull together all the different hats you've worn as a journalist like that the guest booking and the researching and the presenting and the producing it's it's all there isn't it and then added in your passions for food and music yeah absolutely like I always think that if I didn't have those opportunities I wouldn't have the skills to do it and like I say so like how can I make my food blog different from other people's food blogs because there's so many of them out there um, and I think the part about doing interviews with people this summer was part of it because as a journalist I'm curious and um, as someone who's worked around the world I'm curious about different parts of the world and I think it's important for all of us to be aware of other parts of the world. So that was my journalism part of me, being curious and saying, okay, that's what I'm gonna add on. I'm not a chef. And I always say that I'm not a chef. I'm just a home cook who really likes food. Um, so it's like, how can I differentiate myself? So I wasn't intending to try and differentiate myself, but I think that is what I can say that's slightly different or I can try and build in, like you say, all my skills into one place by doing that. Well, it's wonderful. Well, I look forward to continuing to listen and it's been great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks. And so lovely to talk to you, Jill. Thanks to everyone who joined us on this episode of How to Build a Village. We look forward to seeing you next time.